Brought to you by Soul Fire Productions. Hello and welcome to Mother the Mother. I am McLean McGowan. This podcast is an offering for all women to gather energetically, sister to sister, mother to mother, to co-create a sacred space for healing, educating, and sharing as we journey through motherhood and womanhood. It is such an incredibly powerful moment in time to be a woman, and I thank you for showing up on behalf of yourself and for all of the women in your lives, past, present, and future, to honor our matriarchal lines, all who came before, and all who will come after. Hi everyone, thank you so much for tuning in today. I'm your host, McLean McGowan. Thank you for being here with me. This was such a great interview. I'm so happy to share this one with the Curry Girls of the Curry Girls Kitchen, Megs and Pegs, Megan and Peggy Curry, a mother and daughter duo, dynamic duo. They're so fabulous. And this was a great deep dive interview into what it really is means to mother and to be a mother and to be a daughter and to be a sister and they are a house full of girls and it was really fascinating to hear their stories and you know we talked a lot about food and nourishment and making space and time for that and how that is such an important cornerstone of family life is food it is sustenance it's how we show our love and more and more importantly it is how we get nutrients into our children and ourselves and how the way we eat our own relationship with food, our own relationship with our bodies affects our children, right? It trickles down to them in the way that they see us, the way we model having a relationship to your body, your sexuality, the way you nurture and nourish your own self. And our children are watching always. And I just always love having friends of different ages. And so I feel like I'm friends with both of them and I'm in the age group in the middle of them, which I love. And I grew up that way, so it feels very comfortable with me, but I love being able to ask Peggy really direct mothering questions. And then I love hearing within that dynamic, then hearing from Megan, her view from being the child. And I learned so much from this interview and I just love them both personally on a very just in my heart, soul level. And then also I just love the knowledge and wisdom that they share. So I really hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as I did having it. And I'd love to hear your feedback. So please share. Without further ado, here are the Curry Girls. Hi, ladies. Hi. <laughs> we just pulled an amazing butterfly card, so we're all kind of like floating on the ethers. I know. It was so, that was so on point, too. Yeah, I love that deck. So as I was saying, I feel like I'm in a famous movie set because we watch Regs and Pegs all the time, my girls and I, all your amazing recipes, and I'm in the kitchen now. It's amazing. It's an honor to be here. Oh, thank, thank you, you so much for having us. This is an honor to be here with you, talking with you. It's so fun. Thank you. I know. It's finally happened. And it was so funny because whenever we talked about doing this in person, because I really wanted to wait and do it in person, March felt like an eternity. And here we are. I don't know how that happened. Yeah. It's crazy how quickly time has been going. Yeah. I feel like this year. And I guess that also is just with age. As you get older, I feel like time is just, as we know, an illusion. But I feel like now it feels like it just speeds up. I feel like this year especially, it was a weird portal. Like I don't, I, I literally don't know what time is anymore. I have no kind of recollection of time frames. 
And, and I completely have surrendered to divine timing. Mm-hmm. You know, all those things that you had planned, all those things that you wanted to see happen or come to fruition. And, you know, the shit hit the fan. And it was like, okay, we're on our path. We're on our journey. And we just keep moving forward. And when the timing is right, it happens. And so I think that's what happened with us, too. I love that saying of divine timing and I really do trust in it and I really rebel against it too. It's so hard for me to surrender to it. Oh, come on. <laughs> like, uh, it's fucking hard. Yeah, it is. It it's really fucking is. hard and I've been doing it for a really long time, but to practice it every single day and pray for it mm-hmm. and then surrender to it, it does get easier. So now I'm in the zone of let's have a playful day. Let's Mm. have a day where, you know, even when shit does happen, we're in a zone of, okay, well, maybe this is what's supposed to happen today. Yeah. (laughs) You know? And it does make your life so much better when you're in that flow. It does because it feels like you're not controlling it. You're not squeezing whatever it is and you're open to it more so that it's allowed to come forward the way divine spirit universe intended. Yeah. You know, it's not our control. So, Mm. yeah. I feel like even before we recorded, we've all been up against that. I, I, that just resonates so much with me in the past couple of weeks too, of just a lot of lessons coming in. So there are literally endless topics the three of us could talk about. (laughs) Um, and I love you both so much and you have so much wisdom to share. So, For people that have not seen your work and your amazing cooking and recipes and the spiritual work, give a little kind of nutshell about how you guys started working together. It's a mother-daughter, obviously. You have four children, Pegs, and Mm -hmm. four daughters. But specifically, and I I do want to get into that, but how did this evolve of you two working together and building this business together? I love it. Okay. (laughs) We started Curry Girls Kitchen back in well officially made it a business in 2012 but I had just graduated college in 2011 I was studying psychology my mom had quite successful business called kitchen blessings here in Manhattan Beach that when I was in high school and through college it kind of tapered off a bit in college but she used to teach cooking classes right here at our counter in our kitchen And so I would come home from school to sometimes 25 women in the kitchen taking a class from my mom, learning how to nourish their families with the food that my mom always blessed our family with. It was coming home from school, there was delicious baked breads, fresh baked breads, all sorts of treats and yumminess. We would sit at the counter while she was cooking dinner and we would work on our homework. The kitchen was always the hub of our home. And when I graduated, I wasn't ready to go get my master's. And my mom had been talking to other people about potentially giving her cooking business to other people. And I had kind of alluded to her at the end of in my senior year, like, why don't you just hold off? Maybe this is something that we could do together. I'm at that point, I was a vegetarian. It had already been four years since I'd been maybe five years since I'd been diagnosed gluten intolerant. So I had started developing my own way in the kitchen and just my own curiosities around food and how it was working with my body as somebody that also struggled with an eating disorder, learning to love food again, and which I still was in the thick of, how to properly nourish myself. So I was fascinated by it. I always say you're given the medicine you're meant to teach and heal, you know, Mm -hmm. like what you go through, you can Mm -hmm. pass along. So my mom, when I 
had graduated, she has years of these recipes, years of these classes. And I had signed up for Institute of Integrative Nutrition. I was like, I'll do my health coaching and I'll help you work on this book. That's what I always say. And now I know not to say it because it's a trigger for her (laughs) that I say I came on to just really, I call myself Peg's hype girl. Everyone, (laughs) everyone needs to know my amazing mother. She, I, Fully support that, yes. I'm here to bring in the techiness that I did not have and had to learn (laughs) to help put her and her amazing wisdom and teachings and just vibrant, juicy self out to the world. Mm, I love that so much. Yes. Thanks, Mike. Yes. And as you can hear the emotions, it's definitely been a long journey to get to where we are today. As you can imagine, a 21-year-old girl still figuring out what the fuck she wants to do for her life. Going and working with my mom, I had graduated. We were living in a tiny one-bedroom cabin in Steamboat Springs, kind of working on some recipes, working on the book for a couple months, and we moved back here and started teaching classes, and that's when it kind of legitimized it. That was in, yeah, the fall, beginning of fall of 2011, beginning of 2012. And I just fell in love with seeing the direct connection of people feeling confident about food or food that they thought would taste bad or when you're given almost it feels like a life sentence like okay you're now gluten-free you're now dairy-free you now have to eat this way because of some health condition or you're trying to improve your health and so you 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 just feel at a loss as somebody that struggled with that for so long yeah when you find a tool or something that you see a quick result which is food it was really empowering so I told my mom I was like let's do this and then within that first year it was that when we were flying out to New York meeting literary agents trying to work on the cookbook and I kept saying you know I'll go back to school when this like dies down and I mean it's 10 years later and we're still nine ten years later we're still here I love it so much yeah it's been quite a journey and working with your daughter and So all four of the girls have different personalities, different, you know, it's like, I'm a big believer that your children choose you. And there was always this book that I would start giving to young mothers. And it's out of Africa. It's an Mm. African little book. Mm. But what this book does is it's like, talk to your spirit within you, you know, really learn about your children. And because I think I was a special ed school teacher and an educator, it was such a gift in terms of parenting for me, because I had four really different, challenging children in their own ways. And Megan was the one that really challenged me in terms of health and well-being, because she was always the sick one, the one that was always, you know, oh my gosh, we were in and out of doctors from the time she was three months old and earplugs to, you know, to when she was 16 and got so sick and lost all her hair and had all these things going on right before she was going to go off to college. Wow. And so, you know, she's the one that really elicited that, that health besides the fact that I lost my mom to breast cancer. And she was like my first impetus to go in this direction. But then the two younger sisters also had, you know, challenges as well, behavioral challenges and whatnot. And so, you know, learning how to navigate 
working with your kids has always been something that I learned along the way. So now fast forward, and now I have Megan and I, and one of the things that was very interesting is that within our first year, you know, we were bumping up a lot, bumping up a lot, because here Megan is just coming out of college, and it's almost like the same thing around like a 13 or 14 year old that, you know, it's just bumping up, like now she's out of college, and we're doing this work together, and everyone was like, what the heck are you doing? You're going to kill your mother and you're going to kill each other. And what is it? But we always knew there was something so magical and special that it just kept us going. Look, what, nine years, 10 years later. But then we started couples therapy because I'm a big proponent of if you can't fix it yourself, then you got to get help. We love support. We're Mm -hmm. all about getting a team of support. Yeah. So we worked with people that really helped bring forth my own personal, you know, things that I needed to work through, things that we needed to work through together, the triggers that we bring to each other. And so now in the last year, you know, even within the challenges, it's all kind of coming together because what we did this past year by Megan moving to Steamboat, we gave each other space. And I think that's, you know, one of my prayers is to really always nourish and give space for the other people in my life to grow and blossom. And so for Megan and I, this space has been really good. And the way we've now restructured the business has been really good. We have our lanes. So it's allowing us to now come back together because her biggest thing was, I miss my mom. I want my mom. I want my mom, not always my business partner. And I'm the type of person that's on 24 seven. Yeah, my brain is constantly (laughs) creating. I'm a creator. And so it's I've created a lot of shit in my life. Good stuff. Great businesses. Great nonprofits, business, things like that. And it's forever moving around where, you know, Megan's personality is just different. Mm -hmm. She too is a creative and we create very differently. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So well said right there. So we create very differently. So until we acknowledge the fact that we were both so different in how we work together and learning to A, have compassion, learning to be able to work together, recognize it, you know, and just hear each other. It's like to be seen and heard by the person that you're working with that you love so much and you have challenges where you bump up. So how do you navigate this whole piece together? And how did you re-situate your business? Was that via therapy or did you get business help or was it just intuitive like okay let's just well, we hired do we hired up. a team well yeah well it's kind of like what I said when we first started Curry Girls our focus was to get Peg's cookbook out there mm-hmm. which as we've learned has been this evolution the first iteration of what we were once calling growing great families kind of an homage to Peg's business that she was she helped found which was growing great a nonprofit about school garden and nutrition education for K now through 12th. Yeah. Pre-K through. Pre-K. Oh my gosh. Through high school I'm bringing my girls over. Like, can you be their garden teacher, cook teacher, everything? Well, so I wrote, I wrote the nutrition part of it because that's my forte. So that was. But I love gardens. Yeah. So so that was kind of like the first beginning was how do you grow this great family through the food that you're nourishing them with all of the knowledge she had gained through 
my healing journey, her own personal healing journey, my dad's, my three other sisters, you know, the people in our community that she was being introduced to all the time. So it's interesting seeing where we are now to where we first started because it started as that was the focus. That was also around the time when like social media, Instagram blogging was all kind of starting to blow up. There was still like that by no means was a career. That was something that people did for fun. You're still right. figuring out highly filtered photos on a platform. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we can all scroll back and see this. But so we were in these meetings kind of being like, okay, well, what is it that we love and what are we going to do in between, which then led us to back to cooking classes, which led me to cooking on yoga retreats and then working one-on-one and privately with different families, doing private chef work and doing coaching. We would do these cleansing resets that we now have as our reset programs and everything just kind of was naturally evolving. And as you evolve, different things come up. And, you know, like we said in this past year, I was really feeling this loss of my mom. And I think that was something for me as a 31-year-old woman, you don't necessarily like want to have to admit that sometimes you just want your mom. And especially when I have my mom all day, every day, texting me, talking to me, but like, I'm like, can we just like connect? That's Mm. not about this recipe or not about something that's really exciting you, which I think is exciting too, but I'm just, I've... In my personal growth over these past 10 years have developed really strong boundaries to prevent blow-ups and frustration and overwork. My sisters laugh at me because I always say, I was like, I just don't think I'm built to work real hard. (laughs) And it sounds so like you can have so much shame or guilt or whatever you want to attach to that. But I was like, no, I actually know myself really well. And that's like, when Do you know I'm, your human design? Yeah, I'm a generator and she's a manifesting generator. I'm a generator too. Which is funny because typically you're like, you have all the energy But to everything produce. has to light you up. And see, I'm very similar to you. I love to work when I'm in my zone. I yeah. don't want to do busy work. Exactly. Nope. And especially if you're empathic and you are very sensitive yep. to the world around you, it's a lot of energy just to move through. All of that. Yeah. And for me, it was like, I'm really good at prioritizing tasks. And I'm like, okay, this needs to get done today. And if I'm not feeling this creative project or whatever, I'll revisit it when I'm in that headspace. Because for me, it's so much of what I do because I love it. Yeah. And so when we were... I found us like kind of going back. It was like this cycle of here we are like eight, nine, 10 years later that we're kind of having these same arguments where we're not feeling like we're hearing each other and we're not utilizing our active listening skills that we learned (laughs) (laughs) with our therapist. And these structures that we use business coaches, we use life coaches, we get branding strategists. We we have it all. And this year we really focused on, I knew I needed to change space, but I felt trapped that I couldn't leave because here I have a business with my mom. So I'm stuck in Manhattan Beach, but I'm so in the camp that you have to change your environment to change your circumstances. Mm-hmm. And here I was for the past two years since I had broken up with my ex that I would have been living with at the time. I was like, I need change. Like, I need to get the fuck out of here mm-hmm. and find where this next thing is because I see that is the the next evolution of Curry Girls, but I can't get there if I'm not changing where I'm at. And it's scary because also that's happening in the midst of a pandemic 
where just by sheer restrictions, we no longer were able to host in-person classes, which I had been really advocating for an online shift so that we could reach a greater audience Mm -hmm. because we have clients that are in Europe. We have clients all over the US that I felt like we weren't putting our time and giving them the accessibility to us and what we were offering because we were so focused in our community. So it really forced us to, I say, pivot. And We started focusing more on developing these online programs and building out our website, building out different things, starting a podcast and really finding joy in new things that were giving people more depth into what we have to offer aside from our food programs and delicious allergen-friendly recipes. It was, this is also a relationship piece because as somebody that had a very disordered relationship with food, it kind of allowed that piece to blossom to talk about that and talk about our relationship, how we work together and how we create a really harmonious and happy relationship, which very honestly we have not had in the past year. And I realized it was because that mom piece was really missing. Mm. I was like, I feel like we've gone away, which I feel like a lot of family businesses you don't foster that. And eventually over time, that's what creates wedges. I think that's what creates everybody to say, oh, do not mix business and family. Mm -hmm. But my truth is that there's no one I'd rather work with and talk to every day. I love my mom. But when I noticed our relationship was suffering and in turn, our business wasn't growing because of it, I was like, everything else can pause because there will be no curry girls if there is no relationship. And it's also, it's not that it's fraudulent, but it felt like there's some truth that we're not really getting into. And that's something that I can say with us, we're constantly checking in with each other to my personal beliefs sometimes too much about stuff (laughs) that we can come back to and then reassess what is working and what isn't. It's amazing. And as a mom, Pegs, that must be challenging too, to allow your daughter to change. I mean, because as moms, I, I mean, I'm just... I'm like so much information is flooding in my brain right now as you're speaking, because as a mom of four daughters, I have two and you know, my little one's three. So she's still in that baby zone, but the older one, it's like, I'm triggered, you know, daily. And then really coming back to what kind of mom do I want to be? How do I want to be supporting her to react however she needs to react and then not get triggered? Cause I do get triggered. And so, I mean, that's just a testament to the work you guys do that you can support her as she changes because it actually, her changing does affect you and the business and all of it. The thing about when you're working with anyone, I think what comes up big time is ego because it's ego, it's taking things personally, it's what's being triggered to you in the moment. And so for me, it's like check-ins. I'm constantly checking in. And one of the things that I have been working on just since the beginning of the year is releasing judgment because there's all this information. She has three other sisters that are completely different from her and everyone has an opinion about us and how we work together. And I became really clear this year that I wanted to allow Megan to be able to succeed because as a parent, isn't that what we want for our children anyway? Yeah. So I found that my decision to say, you know what, surrender here. What's happening again is divine. 
the way we are structuring curry girls today is beneficial not only for me to focus just on the cookbook and the podcast but for her to focus just on curry girls and allow her to shine and grow and blossom and become this amazing businesswoman that I know is living inside of her and then to support it regardless of what anyone else is saying, mm. you know? Yeah. And to me, that's been really my mantra and my truth. And, you know, like Meg said, it's the ability to maintain the relationship. I'm huge on relationships. I mean, when we were raising our children, my husband's Catholic and I'm Jewish, and we raised our children of spirit. And that kitchen table was the hub of everything in our life, you know, around the family. And every Sunday we did family meetings. And so communication has always been number one, the way you communicate and how compassionate you are and being able to listen and to be able to, you know, be seen and heard as children to me is the biggest gift you can give in raising children, creating a foundation where they know that they are safe. They know that they can come to you no matter what. So the relationship like that was already the foundation for Megan and me. And I think as a special ed school teacher too, for all those years that I was that, that taught me surrender, release, allow the person to be, that was it, then moving into parent too, mm-hmm. you know, so. Well, I was going to say too, you know, hearing you talk about letting someone be themselves, and how you, McLeany brought up human design. When I learned, and this was just in this past year, my mom's human design, it's like you always get shown things that you need at specific moments in time. And I think a big thing for us that was always really triggering, you know, you start from here I am at 21 years old trying to create my own identity. And then here I have my mom who has her identity that I'm coming in to support her and what I I envisioned at that point in time. And that support evolves as we evolve. And how do you create a boundary between business partners and mother and daughter where there is a different level of hierarchy. But now at 30, my mom's one of my best friends. And so your relationship evolves. That was a big thing, you know. And I think, you know, in any business, as Peg said, it went from like a mentorship to a partnership where I felt there was this distinct moment where I was like, my ideas are as equally as valuable as yours. And Mm. so at what point can you not be offended that I'm not coming to you in the way that I once was and that now I have a better understanding of social media. I have a better understanding of the collaborations and the work that I've been doing in my field to support us and value that and not have it be a challenge or that you're right or you know best, but that we can come together in a more collaborative, supportive way. And that took time because as you're kind of coming into your own, me speaking for myself, and then also being really compassionate to the fact that my mom now has to approach us differently. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of learning for her and having to, instead of getting frustrated, like, oh, why are you being offended that I'm now figuring it out and turning to other people and other ways of learning and doing and then coming together as us for Curry Girls, I had to give her that space. And that was where we had therapy, where we had different healers. We were doing different past life regressions and all these different things and retreats or whatever to 
have the space to have these conversations and then come back and then change. But that doesn't happen overnight and it's a a constant practice as with everything. And so when that evolves, it then gives the opportunity for the business to evolve and to other things come in, which I think is really important. And I think in a lot of businesses, you know, we were on another podcast talking about it, that that ego piece of surrendering an ego of like, I'm really lucky having two younger sisters that I think are significantly smarter than me. And I learn from them all the time. And I've never had an ego around that because like I said, my especially my sister Annie, I'm like, she just knows. She's always known. She was always the responsible one. So there's certain things I will always turn to her too. And I had to understand that that might not have been how my mom was being the youngest. Her validation came in being right. So even though there's no right or wrong, if you're not feeling you're right or in this, it can trigger other yeah. things where I had to remove myself from a lot of situations and be like, okay, we've been doing a lot of child work recently. Like that's her little girl that's feeling triggered. And by me saying, hey, that's you being triggered, that might not be the best response for her. So let's approach it differently. And that's what's so beautiful. And that's what, I mean, I've always said, if I'm not evolving, I'm doing it wrong because Mm. I always want to be growing. Who I was a year ago, six months ago is so different than who I am now. And that's not always the case for everybody. No. Amen. Ugh, I'm snapping my fingers. And 2020 <laughs> has been just like going to rocket that change. I mean, for so many of us, I feel like I'm a completely different person and oh, yeah. maybe not to the outside at all, but internally, I'm just, it's really, I still feel like I'm like that awkward, like getting to feel my wings, you know? hundred percent. I feel like we're still like maybe in this caterpillar butterfly analogy. We're like this, we've yeah. we've come yeah. through the chrysalis, but we're still gooey. Yeah. yeah. We're yeah. still like, like our, we're drying our wings off here. <laughs> we're and there. trying I'm, to spread them, but we're not flying yet. No. We're not flying yet. Which is so beautiful. Oh, the pivot, you know, and it's just such a great that's such a great word for this year too. And I feel like so many of us have been called to do that. And And it's still uncomfortable. It's like you can still know it's totally what you need to be doing and it's still just really awkward. Yeah. Or that like, I mean, no one knows what the fuck's going on. Yeah. And so that's one thing I know. None (laughs) of us actually have any fucking clue what's happening. What's happening. Exactly. And so when you're in that and as somebody that loves controlling anything I possibly can, that's like my type A Virgo rising. That's like, oh, my daughter's a Virgo rising (laughs) and son. I see you. (laughs) Let me just organize this. Also, my Capricorn moon that's like, let's do this all. Mm -hmm. It's like very supportive for a very unhealthy way of living life sometimes. (laughs) So when you think you have a plan, my plans typically don't work out. But I think, you know, for us, when it became like this shift that we're like, okay, now we actually have to do this differently than what we've been doing. We're not going to be able to do yoga retreats. We're not going to be able to have in-person classes. It's like... Okay, now how do we want that to look? And mm-hmm. how do we want to share a different side of ourselves that we've been coming more into, which is this relationship piece? I can't even tell you how many people will always say to us, like, how do you work with your mom? And I'm like, it's a choice Yeah, every day. Mm-hmm. Every day it's mm. a choice. And I choose this. And there can be a time where I choose not to, but... I know, like we said in the beginning, like we have such a deeper purpose. I love 
our differences. Like in terms of just work, like once I learned going back to the the human design and learning my mom's a manifesting generator, once I came more into acceptance of who she is in business because she's brilliant and her brilliance is different than my brilliance. And instead of looking at it as you said, mom, like right or wrong, or there's one way of doing it, that we can just do it simultaneously in our own ways. And then once you give that space for you do you, I'll do me, it can be this co-creative thing together. It's going to make it even better. And you'll be in your own truth, which feels so good. Exactly. But then when you're like, why aren't you doing it my way? Because I know my way is the right way because that's just me. Um, You're like, oh no, actually she needs to be working on multiple things at once. That works for her. Whereas for me, I get overwhelmed. So the more that I've turned that scope inwards and I can really understand, especially in working with family, because when somebody tells you they don't like something, in a family business, and I'll speak from my own experience, when my mom says I don't like something, it's like, oh, you don't like me. Mm -hmm. I'm unworthy. You are triggering my good enough wound Mm -hmm. as a child, even though I, like, I always think it's so funny. People always look at our family as, you have such a perfect family. It's so wonderful. I'm like, you don't know the shit that goes down. We (laughs) are perfect for us, and we Mm -hmm. love so hard, but we definitely have our challenges. And, but that's what's the juiciness. That's the good stuff because we still work at it. It's yeah. like any relationship. You've got to put in the effort to see good results. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfectly mm, imperfect. Beautiful. I love that. It's so good, Mike. That was so well said because it is, we do, we love so hard on each other and you know, they've grown up together. They've lived through everything and so much stuff. And, you know, even when they're having moments within the sisterhood, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they come back because mm-hmm. they know they've learned it, that table right there taught them and the communication that we've all been. And so that was, wow, man. It's such a, it's such a world. Like I just want to hear all the stories about the sisterhood because I was an only of my parents. Mm -hmm. So I do not get it. And so now I have daughters that are sisters. I'm like, I don't understand this bickering and this fighting. Like I don't, what is happening? You know, it's all purposeful. It's like all unpurposeful. Well, and I, I used to tell the kids too, and that's, that's where that that weekly meeting mm-hmm. comes to be so purposeful and important so that they can actually have their bickering, but then they come to the table and you talk about, you know, what is it to be a friend? What is it to apologize? What is it to say I'm sorry? Or what is it to say I'm wrong? You know, I hurt your feelings. I'm really sorry. So it's giving them these opportunities to communicate the things that you want your children to learn here, practice within the unit, and be able to take it out into the world. And I feel that right there is the key to raising really compassionate, loving, fabulous kids. I love that so much. Oh, you're so wise. We do family meeting, but not on a regular interval. So I'm definitely taking that from you. I'm going to do that Sunday because I think there's something so beautiful to like to know it's coming Mm -hmm. and you can kind of table things and then bring it up. Yeah. And I have stuff. I will be more than lovely to share with you. Well, you know, (laughs) we all need mentors. Absolutely. We all need, I mean, that's one of my biggest things is having moms that are in all different ages and stages because we Mm -hmm. all need to learn from each other. And I always want to keep learning and I always Mm want to be investigating my relationship to myself as a mom and a woman, you know, Mm -hmm. outside of being a mom. And it's, it's just so much. And it's such a very highlighted time right now. You know, like my kids' happiness is just my 
biggest priority right now. And then everything else will fall below that during this portal of time. And I'm just so blessed that they are. I mean, they're at outdoor school right now, both of them, you know, and it's just, I feel so blessed this little world we've created during this portal, but yeah, it's a lot. And it continues And my relationship with my mom keeps evolving and all of it. You know what, honestly, let's do another podcast. I would love to hear just your journey with all four daughters and how it was the same or different because Mm -hmm. that is so layered. But how did you you know, just like in a kind of abbreviated version, how did you show up in different ways for each kid? I mean, that Mm -hmm. is a lot. How did you do that? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Again, I'm going to fall back onto my education. Mm -hmm. You know, not everyone is blessed to become a school teacher. And, you know, I used to say everyone needs to take a couple classes on childhood education because everyone at some point in their life will either, you know, choose to become a parent or an aunt or an uncle or something where they need to understand the behaviors, the psyche, whatever it is in children. And I think that right there is what helped me manage and grow and develop along with my children because like I said before, they're all so different, you know, and everyone had their little, like we used to call, well, Alex, the oldest, we would call her the queen bee, you know, because she just had that personality and she was never really sick as a child. She was very strong. And when she left to go to college, then the three other ones developed this like huge bond. But growing up though, Megan, and I always called her the cherub. She was the angel. Aww. She could keep, the you know, Oh my God. Big blue eyes. Exactly. She had this curl Cheshire grin and she light up a room and people love to, you know, just like Mm. be with her. Although Megan had the personality that she also had this, she was, she could go and sit upstairs and play with her dolls by herself or we'd lose Megan. Where is she? She'd be, you know, in the back room reading a million stack of books. Mm -hmm. So Megan early on, because I think of her health and everything like that, she learned to just kind of entertain herself. Yeah. You know, she lived in a very creative world. So she's a huge creative and a huge heart. So, and then Annie was our Tasmanian devil <laughs> prince because she thought she was really a boy until she was 13. And so, you know, it's fun to kind of know the personalities that you're dealing with and how you're dealing with each child. And everyone say, how can you let your, you know, four or five year old dress like a boy and behave like a boy? And I'm like, well, that's what she needs to work through right now. And then other parents would come within the, our town and they'd go, how did you do it? My my child is the same way. And I'd say, give them the space to be who they need to be right now. That's the unpacking of allowing your child to grow and emerge and discover and you just love them and support them and be there for them. And that's what Annie did. And then at like, I don't know, 12, 13, she was like, okay, I'm done with this. I want to be a girl. Let's go down to the girly thing store and we're going to buy me a skirt and a top (laughs) and I'm going to, you know, and then boom, you know, then her femininity showed up after living with three, you know, very feminine sisters. And not even just her femininity showed up. I think it was like, I mean, hormones. Mm -hmm. You get to a certain point where she's like realizing I actually... I'm attracted and like my guy friends and I'm seeing that I'm like one of the guy friends. So maybe I can still be myself, but I I, I want to embrace more of this. Yeah. Yeah. You and know? her feminine spirit. Yeah. I, that's how I like attribute it. It was like mm-hmm. her feminine spirit woke up, you know, that she mm-hmm. played this piece out enough 
And, you know, so that was really interesting. And then Sam, she was like the little princess. She was like the little mini me of Alex. And she was also another really sweet, you know, she helped Annie a lot through Annie's struggles. Mm. So so we call them the cubs. So their relationship, they're 15 months apart, are like two peas in a pod. And they make us laugh. They've been a comedy team since they were little. And they're just so fun. So now I'm like forgetting what was the question again? I don't know. Doesn't okay, good. I just think it's it's interesting, you know. Oh, I know what it was. I was going to say, as being one of them, like how you talked about how you kind of handled each of these mm-hmm. personalities and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's interesting hearing a mother's perspective about like why, like I was always good at entertaining myself. But as you can imagine, as she said, my sisters, Annie's two and a half years younger than me and they're 15 months apart. So it was like two babies in diapers. One of them that was challenging. I had my health stuff. You have my older sister that's doing her own thing and has all of her friends very social. You kind of have to learn where you fit in. I always like to say like I felt like the glue between my sisters because I'm that in-between age. And also I saw how much attention my younger sisters required. So I would take care of myself because I was like, I'm just going to make it easy. And I did love, I still love reading, entertaining myself, being by myself. Our family is very loud. And I, (laughs) the irony with my hearing, like I would, I just wanted peace and quiet. So I would would go like seclude myself in my room. Exactly. (laughs) And so, I mean, I think with all of our very strong personalities, what you heard my mom describe is that she was always checking in with us daily. How was your day today? What's going on? Like she was very present, always, if there was something going on, would always talk about. Communication in our family was huge. And I've had ex-boyfriends in the past and even girlfriends that were just like, how can you have these conversations? Like, I literally choke up. I don't even know how to say this. I don't even know how to ask these questions. I don't even really know what I want. And it was because we were all, my mom asked really good questions to us when we were kids that there was no judgment held to it. Like she described my sister, Annie, that, you know, Annie, yes, she was like, I'm in the wrong body. I should be a boy because I like boy things. I like playing these sports. I like doing whatever. But then as she got older and asking these questions, being like, oh yeah, I can like these things, but still be a girl mm-hmm. and still be true to who I feel I am inside. And I think that's beautiful and because I think a lot of what I've seen in friends and with my girlfriends that are now parents, like you have an idea of how they should be versus letting them show you how they want to be. Yeah. Well, when they come, they come, you mm-hmm. guys come. That's that book I started to share with you. It's like, there's a spirit in you yeah. that comes. It's chosen you, you yeah. know, and your job as a parent is to love them protect them, clothe them, feed them, house them, nourish them, and give them the opportunity to learn those values that you really hold, your core values. What is important to you that you want your children to go off into the world and be that, Yeah. right? Then you get to cut the cord, but you allow them to make decisions. You allow them to come into who they came. That movie, Soul, did yeah. you guys see yeah. Soul? Oh, so beautiful. Love That's yeah. it right there. I cried, yeah. Tim, and I love that movie. It's like, that's what I was downloaded mm-hmm. as a mom. I am given 18 years to do 
the best possible job as a mom, as a parent, co-parenting with Tim, that I want to give them my all in that time. And I know that young moms, I used to teach a lot of moms, and I would tell them, I said, look, there's a hierarchy of priority. You got to take care of yourself. You don't take care of yourself. You got nothing to give. You got to take care of your spouse and you, whoever that partner is, take care of that relationship. Because when those guys leave, you got to have something going really juicy when that happens. And then it's your kids. It's not that I didn't you know, care for them in any way, but I also never lost sight for me, my relationship and the children. And I used those 18 years of their life that I had with them really strategically, purposefully, and lovingly. So that's a huge point when parents are like, yeah, some parents have to work. They need those incomes. And so when you are in that place to be with your kids, be with your kids. Don't miss this opportunity to give them everything you got. And I love that you used the word strategic because it actually is a huge puzzle piece to do those three things. Yeah. Yourself, your partnership, and your kids. Yeah. It's It can be so overwhelming each day to, to prioritize and figure out how you're going to do it all. Uh, hello. Yeah. I have, I mean, that's what the, the cookbook is all about is this organization. Mm-hmm. You have to be organized in your day so that you don't lose it. Totally. And be clear. And, yes. and you know, with, I mean, my whole thing right now is clarity is queen and like everything I'm just trying to boil down. Yeah. Crystal quartz to the forehead right now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like clarity, clarity, clarity. And when you were talking, I was thinking, what did you do to refill your cup each day? Like w- how did you take care of yourself, nourish yourself first before giving to Well, it's so funny what I didn't children? say with the four kids. I had another friend who had four kids a year apart and I'd call Amy going oh my god I don't know what to do they're like oh they're off the wall and she goes get low to the ground just get low to the ground so that used to be all play toys and books Mm. over there it was redone you know as we got older and I played with my kids. We were in, you know, we did stuff, but it was all low to the ground when they had to be low to the ground. Then they get older and then they were off doing their thing. So in the moments that I had time, I was able to find things. But also what was happening when my kids were younger were they, unfortunately, I had my, my mom was dying when my kids were younger. I took a good year when the kids were like six four, three, and two, or actually younger than that. And I spent time with my mom. And so that was like my nourishment Mm -hmm. during that time. And then I went into grief. So there were times that, I mean, I really had challenges when they were really little, you know, and different things. But along the way, I think what I'm remembering is I had support, you know, thank God I was able to have help in the house. Thank God I was able to have a husband that was so supportive and was present and here. Thank God I was able to have um, friends that were also supportive. And we lived on a block with 36 kids and moms that supported. So we created a village of support where the kids could run out very safely and go from house to house and be, you know, supported like that. So that's how I managed. You get help wherever you can find that support. Don't feel that you have to mother alone. And that's what I love because you created these clubs now where women can be seen and heard, you know, that's like genius. 
people need to be able to vent because it is the hardest job you'll ever do is raising children. It is. And so much of it, I think, is just unseen, you know, and that's like the the thing that can really get you is it's just like, I'm doing all of this and I'm not getting paid for it and I'm not getting seen for it. And you know, it can come off as like kvetching and complaining. And sometimes you just need to vent and you're like, I love my life. I love my partner. I love my children. I love this life I've chosen. And can I just get this off my chest? Exactly. And then breathe again. Yeah. And start all over the next day. Yeah. But to have a sense of faith, Mm-hmm. have a practice, even if that practice is five minutes yeah. while you're having kids. Totally. And then I was very strategic again with my time. If I knew at two o'clock in the afternoon, there was quiet, man, I would do something for myself, yeah. you know, but yeah, it, again, it's, I had a board. Everyone knew where they had to be. We knew mm-hmm. what dinner was. I fed them breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There was a plan in place that kept me for being sane yeah. because I think a lot of moms, it's an insane job. Like you said, you're not getting paid, you know, and, but the payment is, is this love, this This love. And it is the most amazing thing. Well, and this human being that you are co-creating with the universe, Uh with God, whatever, you know, you believe in that it's not a right. It's a gift. It's a a gift, a serious gift to be able to bring another human being into the world Mm -hmm. And then raise it and set it free like that butterfly, you know, and then go on and live an amazing fucking life (laughs) with them as they become your friends, as they become your family differently. It's amazing. The gifts that happen. I love you, Pex. Oh, I'm so grateful. I love you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. The plan. I mean, this morning I was even saying to Jemima, okay, we are writing down our meal plan, our dinners for the week. Cause I just need that. I, that's the part of my day where I want to go postal, where I'm like, mm-hmm. what will you people eat? Because I could just have a shake and go night, night, mm-hmm. you know, at 5 PM. Anyway, that's very motivating just to have the plans and have it written down and like no stress. It's there. You have the food there. One thing I do want to touch on, which, I mean, this is a huge podcast episode in of itself, but since I have you both here, I would love just to touch on the eating disorder a bit if you want to share a little bit, because I I just think it's, I would say probably 90% of the women listening to this either had an eating disorder or their sister did or their friend did or their mom did. And I really would value hearing both sides a little bit because I did too. And I know that was really hard on my mom. It was hard on everyone. You know, it's something that also it's not usually just like over. And then like all of a sudden you're great with food for the rest of your life. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, if you could share, because as food was such a central part of your life, you know, we kind of assume like, oh, they must have such a great relationship with food if it was always around and beautiful meals and recipes Mm -hmm. and all of that. So like, how did that manifest for you? Totally. So I think as I, my mom touched on and I said briefly, you know, my health was always very compromised. So I was always all those doctors and different shamans and Eastern medicine doctors mm-hmm. I was seeing, mm-hmm. we were always trying new things. So my diet was always changing. Like there was a week where they took out all chicken and then they tried taking out sugars. And then there was one day where they took out all the down feathers of our house because they thought I'd be allergic to down. And so as a Mm. child, you're seeing all of this struggle that you're causing your family. And then having my sisters, 
in particularly my older sister that was like, oh, you're such a pain. Like you can't do this or like would taunt me with food because as a kid, you just want to fit in. And I used to beg my mom for a Lunchable and I'd be so embarrassed by my brown bag lunches with beautiful Ezekiel homemade breads and these pesto sandwiches that people like pay for now (laughs) that my mom's making me and I'm embarrassed by them. Like, oh, just why do I have to be so different? I don't want to be different. I just want to fit in. And that's such a struggle that all kids yeah. have. And the, the, like kids are mean and you don't understand it. And I've always been very confident in myself and felt very comfortable being in my own skin. As I said, like, you know, being by myself, I loved it. But there was something around the food that is nourishment. And when the food isn't nourishing you, and I always felt so crappy, it didn't when I was younger, really know how to vocalize it. And then once I started seeing therapists and behavioral therapists and different doctors, I could vocalize. I understood that when I ate, I'd have brain fog or I didn't feel energized or that my stomach would hurt and all of these things. And so this is like at seven, eight, mm. nine years old, you're aware, you know. Totally. And so here I am thinking to myself, like, why isn't my body working? Like I would go from being really chubby to like, really gaunt and not having enough nutrition because I didn't know, we didn't really know. Mm -hmm. And then because it was such a well-known thing in my family and back in the 90s, like there was Atkins diet Mm -hmm. and then there was, there wasn't like this. There was the fat-free craze. Exactly. There wasn't all this information. Master cleanse. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. There wasn't all this information that we have now. We don't have access back then like we have now. And so it wasn't just my mom monitoring my foods. It was everybody else in the community. I'd go over to a friend's house and it'd be like, oh, well, Megan can't have that. And oh, my grandpa, nope, Megan can't have that. Or can Megan have that? Is this okay for Megan to be eating right now? Like it was such a highlight. And as my mom says, you know, at 13, when I went off to middle school, she was like, okay, just I give up because I'd already started lying, hiding foods I was eating with my friends. Like I would eat when I was here, but when I would go out, I would do my own thing. And that was kind of like the beginning of my own healing journey with food because I got myself very sick. Mm. Yeah. And and at 13, you know, again, being educated, I knew that I was setting up my daughter for an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. I had it in my psyche somewhere. And I said, it wasn't that I was giving up. I just gave her a new set of rules that look, we're going to eat this in the house, whatever you do out there, you know how it's going to make you feel. So therefore, you're I'm empowering her to make better choices. But I'll let her finish the story of what happened. Yeah, so I got myself really sick. I was an athlete. I always played soccer. I swam. I danced. I mean, I was very active. And so by the time I was turning 16, I had gotten myself really, really sick. I had all sorts of autoimmune issues. Like I was down to like 100 pounds maybe. I had lost half my hair. I had fever blisters and 104 degree fevers for weeks. Was in my bed like begging to go to the hospital because I was in so much pain. And that was my rock bottom, like truly my rock bottom. That I was like, okay, it's time. At that point, I'd already developed bulimia. I was binging, not eating, restricting, and then doing double day workouts for soccer. And in high school, my mom and I had a very strained relationship. She was going through menopause while we were all getting our periods. (laughs) And 
I'm a horrible liar, I think, because when I was a child, I did therapy when I lost my grandma. So there's something inside me. I'm, I can't lie and I'm really bad at I'm not sneaky. Like my older sister's really sneaky and she's good at like manipulating <laughs> things. <laughs> and so I would always get in trouble. I was always getting in trouble for yeah. going out with my friends or drinking or anything in high school, you know, high school kid things. And so my mom had an issue with trusting me anyways. And so my older sister had caught me. She'd caught me like one day after dinner going upstairs and throwing up and she was like, mom, Megan has a problem. This is a problem. And I think because of our relationship and because my sister was already manipulative with certain information, I don't know. And this is just my, I don't know if she took it seriously or if, I mean, I also wasn't really ready at a place to address it. And it's interesting because then when you go to college, that gets masked by drinking. You drink enough, you're going to throw up anyway. So it doesn't matter. And everyone's on Adderall. And I was smoking cigarettes. And, you know, that was my wild phase that I wasn't taking care of myself in the first couple years of college anyways. And I think, you know, being one of four girls, you're constantly being compared to one another we look very different we all have very different body types I grew up in a beach community as I said I'm very confident in myself I love being naked everyone in my family knows I walk around naked all the time like you'd like dart from room to room so that my dad wouldn't see me in the hallway accidentally but there was still this like again as I said I love control it was this control piece that Mm -hmm. I felt I didn't have control over my body. I felt like there was a lack of control in terms of how I could feel and what Mm -hmm. I could do. Mm -hmm. And because I had been trained for all these years that food was not my friend and that food was not nourishing me the way that it would nourish other people, it really was in my psyche of like, what's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how to nourish myself. I didn't have those tools because also I was rebelling against my mom in a way of becoming my own woman. And it wasn't until I had graduated college and I we had done a, a food cleanse in that reintroduction I was like yeah I don't know how to feed myself and I'm scared of food because of all of these years and we had been hosting class because we started this was like early days of curry girls kitchen we started filming videos and i was seeing myself on camera and i was just like uncomfortable that's so uncomfortable for anybody like it's never comfortable when you have to like talk to a screen and see yourself it's weird it's really weird and also somebody that's having these body image issues and dysmorphias and all this stuff you know you don't understand how present it is until you're having to really address it and think outside yourself. In this class, I she said, talk about something really vulnerable that no one knows about you. And I was sitting there and I was like sweating bullets like, oh, fuck, this is it. This is like the one thing I have a secret that no one knows. Like literally, this is it. I don't have, there's nothing else to me. It is this. I guess I'm gonna talk about it and we'll see what my mom says because now I'm gonna admit it. And that was the most freeing thing I ever did. And I looked at her in that car ride home and she didn't really talk to me about it. And I was like, are we going to talk about this? Because I have a problem (laughs) and I'm ready for help. Wow. (laughs) So brave. That was like, I went back into therapy. I started really, as you said, you know, and I studied it. That was my focus by my senior year when I studied psychology. I was fascinated by it. Again, something that I thought I could support other women with, mm-hmm. but I hadn't done my healing. I was right. in the thick of it. And yeah. it was 
too attached to my own healing to to be able to support somebody else in theirs. And so, yeah, I think that was the most liberating thing of when it finally wasn't a secret anymore and I didn't have shame around it. I was like, this doesn't have to consume me and now I'm ready to find tools to manage it because it's a daily thing as much as I have my food in control, <laughs> in control, here I am talking about control, um, in order, I still get triggered. I still like in new relationships with having my gluten intolerance and sharing that that was something I can tell off the bat. If I'm embarrassed talking to somebody new about it, like, oh, this isn't going to be a good fit because I'm censoring myself yeah. about who I am, about my dietary needs. And I shouldn't feel that way. And this is years. Or if somebody like for people that don't have food sensitivities or don't have these things, they'll be like, oh, come on, you can just have a little bit of gluten. It's not going to hurt you or you can do this. And I used that almost as a way of like orthorexia of like deeper control. That was like yeah. when I was vegetarian and I was so strict with that. Like would not, nope, I can't have bone broth. I can't do this. This isn't good. Like there was butter that touched it. Can't have that. And it just kind of like fed my eating disorder. But once I again learned and was able to be like, oh my God, this is what it feels like when food is nourishing, when you have energy, that tool was my greatest gift. Admitting it, getting support, and then beginning the healing, beginning to really understand food is here for nourishment. I know lots of clients that I have and lots of people that they view it as fuel. Food is not emotional to them. Food is a purpose. They're like, whatever, don't care. As a foodie, as somebody that I always say I'm in, I picked the best job for me because truly I love to eat and it was so painful that I couldn't mm. eat everything mm. and anything. I've accepted that part of myself. I'm not worried that this is going to make me fat or that I'm going to like, I'm going to have to work out double tomorrow because I had all these things or I would make myself so sick off of eating stuff or not eating my enough stuff where I was then feeling dizzy and weak. I was able to find that balance and that's why I love our reset program so much because that was it. That was the first lesson I ever had in learning my own body, learning to listen to my body, mm -hmm. which I think is the key to intuition. A lot of people are like, oh, intuitive eating. I have put that in air quotes or just being intuitive. I feel like now it's a, it's very, it's a hot topic. People love yeah. talking about it, but only you know yourself. And if you don't know how to listen to yourself, you're not going to get there. Totally. You're just going to be told what to do. And yeah. That's, I think that's the biggest gift with it. And it's at a place now where I get triggered. I, of course, I have people around me that still struggle with their eating disorders. Like, I mean, I'm one of four girls. Like, everybody has something. And I can see, like, I'm very visual in my head. I can see the thoughts. And I can be like, I don't have to attach to that today. I can choose to know that that's an old part of me that no longer serves me and I have other ways to nourish myself for feeling insecure or feeling questioning or not feeling self-love or gratitude for my body. I can like double down on those affirmations or those other things that are gonna support me and reminding to eat. My mom was a really big trigger for me too because she wouldn't feed herself and I was like I spent too many years in that camp forgetting to eat mm -hmm. so it's important to do that and yeah. I can't 
remind you to feed yourself because I'm over here trying to remind myself to feed myself. And I can let my mom speak to it from a mother's perspective, but I know I triggered her in that sense. I mean, she was a ballerina for many years. She talks about how she was bullied as a kid because she was very well developed. I mean, we're all, we all have very large chests. We have very different body types. Like I know my struggles definitely triggered her own struggles. Mm -hmm. I say now and it sounds like crazy, but I am grateful for it because it did, it taught me to listen to myself. It taught me to really be, to start having gratitude for this body of mine that for a long time didn't feel good. I wasn't taking care of it. And now I, I, that is my highest priority because I don't have children yet. I don't have this, but I do want them one day. And I know that that's something that in healing that with myself, I'll be able to show up better for when that does happen. Oh my God, yes, because it will come up, you know? Whatever (laughs) is not healed will come up when you have children, that's for sure. 100%. And one thing I want to just add, the intuitive eating, because that's something that I have really been doing and taken over, but you you must know thyself Mm -hmm. to be intuitive. And, you know, with all the addiction around food, the binging, the purging, the restricting, all of that, it's it's taking us further away from the intuition. I read some great quote, which I can't totally remember about addiction. It's just like anything that takes you away from your highest self. And yeah, it is such a journey. And then with bulimia too, your body actually gets addicted to the purge. So it's a very hard thing to break. And it becomes a lot harder to purge. And so you build, yeah. it. it's like, yeah. It's a weird tolerance. It's really bizarre. And it was, again, in all of the healing things that we did, uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm really grateful for the mom that I had that introduced me to these other healing modalities to really help heal myself, mm-hmm. to take care of myself. Like you said, it's like you got to know yourself to know what you need and get to intuitive eating. Well, and, and that intuitive eating piece, I think before you even get to the intuitive piece, you know, I think that's the beauty of what the reset presented to us is that it's a tool to take all the inflammatory foods, the allergen foods, everything like that out of your, you know, diet for the moment for 21 days. But then once you start reintroducing them, then you know, this is the coup de grace that you know which foods actually work best for you because you're knowing now. So now it's get to that. Now you've got this intuitive knowing it's like screwing it in. Okay, I know every time I eat that piece of cheese, I'm going to have gas, I'm going to have a bellyache. And the gluten, you know, obviously people do it and they're already gluten free. But there's so much information about different foods that once you dial it in and know what works best for you, so you can really be this amazing, you know, human being body machine. It's a gift. Again, it's a gift. And it was such a huge gift for Megan. It was a huge gift for me. And the only thing that I'm going to share while Megan was going through that was I was oblivious. That was my truth. Because when Alex would share this with me, I didn't necessarily believe what Alex was telling me because she already had so many things around her sister. And we actually did when the kids were their last, I think Megan, you were in 10th grade, Alex was a senior. They did therapy because they were driving me crazy with the bullshit tattling and shit like that that was going on. So again, what Megan said, it was that trust. And because I wasn't seeing it, she was very good at hiding it. I wasn't so sure if it was so true. And like she said, again, she wasn't ready to come out. So then when she finally did come out with it, again, this is 
her journey. How can I support you in this? What can I do to support you? I love you. I'm sorry. And I shared, you know, she knew at age 12, I was sticking my finger down my throat to look like everybody else that had those bodies that I didn't have. And so I related to it, you know, and yeah, it's really for me, it was really just supporting her how I best could support her and not make her feel ashamed or anything. It's just, okay, here's another, here's another challenge. Here's another journey. How are we going to go with it? You know, so that you can learn and then God blessed us with this reset, you know, this claim that we just started doing. And now we can't express enough the magic that this 21 day reset can do for everybody. So beautiful because when the vessel gets clear, then you can see beyond the trees, you know, because there's so much noise coming at us all the time. What, you know, vilifying foods, Mm -hmm. these are healthy foods and it's really, truly different for each person. And then the beauty is it's up to you. Yeah. Your choices. It's your choice and you can't put that on anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, people can misuse it as I did. Like, you know, you're doing something healthy, but too much of a good thing necessarily isn't a good thing it can be so American it's like exactly it can be more detrimental and you know I always say it's for a period of time because if you're always living in a such a restrictive state that's you're still in your eating disorder you're still Mm -hmm. you're you're bopping from vegan to paleo to whole 30 to our reset to whatever it is you know you gotta that trust that learning to trust food as not negative like that was when I started being like okay I can have a sweet treat but I'm gonna have it in this way because I know it's what makes me feel good but if I'm craving a cookie no amount of strawberries is gonna fill that void of that cookie until I have the cookie so instead of hating myself for having that cookie, I'm going to make a cookie that's going to make me feel good. And so I was able to use my journey with my eating disorder and also my dietary needs to create something that I can feel good about because there's times where I'll eat a handful of cookie dough batter and make myself sick and not feel good. Those can happen, but then I don't go down that spiral because I'm like, well, I guess you needed to do that today. And (laughs) (laughs) so that's where the day took us. That's where the day took us. And you know what? Tomorrow's a new day and I'm going to wake up and do the things. I'm going to get back my ways that make me feel good. And I'm not going to beat myself up over that because for whatever reason, that held me. And it's not going to break you. That's, that was the biggest thing for me. It's like, I'm not going to gain 20 pounds over this thing, you know, or I'm not now not who I am because I did this, you know, it's just, yeah. And in eating, because as I, you know, I was at all, it taught me that food isn't going to make you fat. Food is going to help rebalance my body, get it back in homeostasis that when I'm full, I'll be able to listen to my body being full and I'll not have to gorge myself until I'm feeling nauseous. And I'll learn that these things that felt like cheating foods or forbidden foods that I couldn't have, I could have in a different way. And it so much of it is the mentality and why I was so fascinated by it and studied it and how you can reprogram your brain to think different, Mm -hmm. but it takes practice. There's no quick fix. And that's why I'm such an advocate of getting support, having a coach, having a therapist to get to the the root cause of like, where did this stem from? So, because that awareness is going to set you free. Yeah. 
And then once you get there, then you can start having a coach or a nutritionist or whoever it is that you find that you connect with to really support you to rebuild those healthy habits. And I, I, I really don't love the word healthy, but more supportive habits for you. Wherever you are in the journey. I mean, we were talking before we recorded Pegs about how, you know, I've been a vegan and vegetarian most of my life. And I know, Megan, you've gone through this journey too. And mm-hmm. now I'm really at a place where I'm not. And it's still shocking to me kind of on a daily basis. But mm-hmm. for me, I wasn't seeing healthy, abundant, women that were on that lifestyle aging well and modeling the life and the body and the bones that I want, you know? And yeah. so for me, it's really been this interesting thing. And I've shared this on another podcast of, I've gotten into this eight constitution diet, which is this, it's based in Korean acupuncture. It's very kind of out there, but quote unquote, healthy foods are not healthy for my body. And it was a real reframe. And it really reaffirmed the stuff that I was kind of making myself eat or thing I should be eating every day. They're not good for my body. And it to- I was actually intuitive in that way. And then I'm bringing back like ground turkey. I can't really eat meat meat, but I can do ground things in the bone broth. And like I injured my leg. So in this tea, I'm drinking collagen. And so it's yeah. just, and I'm raw milk, raw dairy again. And it's just I have to say in my 40s, I'm, I feel so free, you know, like mm-hmm. I can go to Erewhon and buy the $10 carrot cake that I adore anytime I want because I'm like, mm-hmm. I love it. It's better ingredients. I will treat myself when I want it. And it really is freedom. And then my girls get to see that we have treats, but they also are learning like even my nine year old. She's like, mommy, I don't when I'm at parties, I don't like cake anymore. It's too rich. And she loves chocolate. I mean, she loves a treat, but she's knowing her body. And that's the biggest goal for me is she's going to do what she's going to do. And I can give her the best tools but to know herself well and to model exactly a hundred percent to model as you know as a parent is one of the biggest gifts you can give to your kids no matter what it is it's like if you're telling your kids don't smoke don't smoke don't smoke but you're sitting there smoking don't drink don't drink drink but you're drinking down at five o'clock every day if you're not eating vegetables but you expect your child to they're not gonna eat it so i know what you bring to the table is everything your kids are sponges this is what they're gonna do but getting back to the vegetarian i was a vegetarian all through college and then i realized this is i'm craving yeah my liver and onions that I grew up with. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like you listen to your body, you learn what works best for you. I love that you said there's so many good foods that don't work for me. A hundred percent. Wheat is not a bad necessarily grain, depending on how it's grown or a spelt or a farrow or really good grains, barley. They just don't work for everybody. And we know what's happening today because of the science around it. So again, having the people that are supporting you, your Korean path is beautiful because you're starting to light up. You're starting to find the things that you know feel good for you, giving you energy, helping you be the best version of you. And like not be obsessed with food all day. Exactly. You know, just like eat. You're nourished. Yeah, feel good, feel fulfilled. Satisfied. And also like I can go to Europe and eat bread all day and I'm Mm -hmm. fine. It's Mm -hmm. different. You know, in the U.S. we have real, you know, as we all know. Farming (laughs) issues. Yeah, we have big farming issues. But yeah, I, I just think it's so 
important to model. And that's something I'm so aware of because I've definitely, you know, I have had eating disorders, body dysmorphia. I never say in front of my children, oh, my thighs feel big today. Oh, I feel chubby today. I am so aware since mm. birth. I do. I will not say any of those things. So, I'm not that good. And um, <laughs> yeah, no, well, my mom- it's a different time, you know, it's a different time, but it's like, I know better now. And yeah, so it's no, like, I do. And- but I also love you could admit that and say yeah, that totally. like, listen, it's okay. Everyone has insecurities. We're humans. Like we're yeah. not perfect. And you, you can look at somebody and be like, God, I wish I had that body. And I just always come back to it's like at some point in the process of my creation, I was like, I want to be blonde hair, curly and a little curvy. Like, that's just what I wanted. Like, and I have to say, like, that was my path. And I love this body. And, you know, you kind of like I did, I would hear that. And I think that's so powerful that you're doing that for your kids, even though you're feeling it, like not expressing it because as much as it was, it was like, I would hear my mom saying it. I, she would talk about it. And then when she lost weight, you'd hear you talk about it. And I don't blame her whatsoever. My path is my path. My eating disorder came out of whatever, my siblings, other people's society. But there comes a point where the consumption of other opinions, yeah. other information, you got to start discerning what actually is valuable for you totally and, Such a good and point. building yeah. that barrier and how we show up for everyone because you know what when you lose a lot of weight everyone says oh my gosh you look so great right? you know what i don't like to comment on people's bodies anymore Mm-mm. certainly and i really work on not commenting on other people's children even you know these benign things of like oh my gosh you're so tall guess how many times that kid hears that a day yeah. That's so annoying based and on their body. That, you and know? insecurity. Yeah, insecurity. something that you can't control. It's, yeah. I'm going to start going like this. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, it's just, I and I think that. it's generational too. It's like <laughs> oh my mom my would say stuff, of course, about her body. My grandmothers I grew up with, you know, it's generational. So we're also healing the line. All of yes. that. Oh, a hundred percent. And I think, you know, living with somebody that had has and still struggles with eating disorders and just body dysmorphia and how real that is and seeing it until you're with somebody that you love so much and you see their struggle that you then have to learn and hear yourself how often you comment is like oh you're so beautiful oh you're just so gorgeous god I like like how many compliments are aesthetically driven versus saying you just have the best heart you're such a caring person and you radiate love Mm -hmm. and that is so beautiful and it you have to like like you said you train yourself you catch yourself when you're gonna comment on somebody because I definitely my weight had fluctuated and people say wow you look so good and I'm like my god I feel like hell inside and when you are in those you look so good places that's probably when you're at your worst totally 100% yeah. Wow. I love, Megan, that you explained that. Yeah. You just taught me something right there. Because I'm thinking, you're so beautiful in my eyes. I'm looking in your eyes. I'm looking at your soul. But I'm not realizing that it's attached to what you look like. Mm. And that right there is such a gem of information to say you're radiant, your heart. Oh, my God. Like, thank you for saying that. That's like really that's a big deal. Let's well, say yeah, it's learning to compliment differently. Differently. Yeah. I love your energy. I love the words you're using. How you know yeah. it's you make me feel so good. I feel yeah. so welcomed over here. You yeah. make me it's just so warm and comforting. Like, you know, there's so many things. You get real and I get that's a struggle for people. I'm very yeah. creative. I'm very I took <laughs> yeah. a lot of creative writing. So yeah, yeah. I love but it. yeah, uh, 
It is. It's so important changing that narrative, especially mm-hmm. for women, because we're just under these microscopes. We're gawked at. We are, yeah. you know, and I, I'm the first to admit I'm worse than men. I do it with my girlfriends. Yeah, because we're, we're trained. I mean, that's the thing is yeah. it's it takes real intention mm-hmm. to expand the scope. And to use different words and to not label ourselves and... Yeah, even if it is positive. Like, I'm not Mm -hmm. doing it as, like, a judgmental or, like, God, like, out of envy or anything. It's, like, I'm an appreciator of female form. I think the, the woman's body is absolutely stunning. I think like just visually we're way more stimulating than yeah. in my opinion a man's body oh, and so yeah yes. I look at it <laughs> it's just like true and yeah. I, but it's at the same time like when that's all you're trained to look at that's no wonder we have all of these insecurities and these yeah. a body dysmorphia and all these things because that evolves and it changes but what what's consistent is your internal yeah. your your soul your your humanness and who you mm. are and i think that's what i've in my own journey with like really finding self confidence and self love and loving my body and myself and who i am i can share that with other people yeah. and just it's those things that are going to make someone stay and you're so lucky that you learned that at such a young age and that you're clear now because you know, if and when you do get pregnant and have a child, you know, stuff, it, you will be triggered. Oh, and then postpartum, sure. postpartum body, you know, pregnancies <laughs> go cross eyed. Oh, you know, God. stuff comes up. And again, it's that thing of like, oh my gosh, you've lost all the baby weight. And you're like, oh, well, I'm not eating because I'm just stressed. But like now I'm getting complimented <laughs> oh, yeah. by everyone that I'm back in my skinny jeans at two weeks postpartum or whatever it is, oh, God, you know. No I, I gave myself six months. Yeah. I did I did Weight Watchers because mm-hmm. then I didn't really have anything else and it was fantastic for me then. I didn't follow their food. I still ate my way, but yeah, but yeah postpartum was, oh my God, the hormones were crazy. Plus I had horrible issues with mm. breastfeeding. Yeah. I had the ways, but not the means. Mm-hmm. So my boobs were literally this big and I'd walk around with them. And then after Alex, I just... We bound me for the other three. So, but yeah, it's postpartum. It was never really talked about, you know, and I know you do such a beautiful job. Thank God for you guys to really talk about it because it wasn't a thing. It was just all made up in our head. You know, I just called it my horse moaning. So it's so, (laughs) yeah, it's so loaded. And then each, each woman has such a different body, you know, and it's so, you also, you just can never, I mean, I was thinking about like my top 10 things I've learned from 2020 and the the, the, kind of the top one was like, you can't assume anything about anyone, you know, like I'm really disassociating from judgments Mm -hmm. because this year, I mean, I've surprised myself in a lot of new ways. And if I'm doing that for myself, then, I mean, we're very layered. Just nothing is like the facades don't matter. There's so much going on for all of us. And I think it's ultimately a good thing, you know, but it's for sure. I don't ever want to go back. Yeah. I don't ever want to. There's no way of going back. But I love that awareness. Uh, I guess even for mine, I'm thinking like, I was creating my own circumstances. As much as I would like to blame the pandemic or politicians or all of these <laughs> other things, yeah. I'm responsible for the world I live in yeah. in terms of like my 
happiness and the way I choose to show up and I can be affected by certain things, but how I choose to carry that out. It's like a lot more self-responsibility. A lot more. And that's something I come back to every day because I have felt really trapped about certain laws and things, especially in the state. And at the end of the day, I always have a choice. I always have a choice. Mm -hmm. I can move. I can reframe. I can, you know, we are homeschooling. Mm-hmm. Um, our whole paradigm of education moving forward is going to be completely different. Oh, like yeah. there's yeah. always, you know, you can make choices, you can lose friendships, you can lose partnerships, all of it. And it's a choice and it's really powerful to own it. Mm-hmm. And then you have to show up in a new way each and every day. Oh, I love you ladies. Oh, I, love I you. think we covered so much. There's so much more that we could always talk about. And so we'll do it again. But if there's, I guess, one thing that each one of you want to end with of any woman listening that is on your heart today, what would it be? You know, I think the greatest thing, you hear it, it sounds cheesy, but you have to love yourself first before you can really love other people. And I think that is really what my mom taught us and how she raised us and how she mothered that she did take care of herself as painful as times as that was as a child, you being like, I need you now. But seeing her really honor herself taught me very subconsciously that I need to respect and honor myself first and foremost. And that's how I'm going to be able to love on and receive love from other people. And that I do daily is that because for so long I didn't just practice that love, especially, you know, not married, want kids, want a family if you're in your 30s or, you know, going through a new relationship or relationship changes. You deserve everything that you want. And that's not bad. And that the more you practice giving yourself what you want and the way that you want to be loved and the life that you want to live and their partnership and your friendships, it starts overflowing and showing up in that way because you're showing yourself that it is possible. Mm. Love that. And it's so funny. I was getting, Megan and I, we have like this brain wave, you know? (laughs) Yes. And then as she's speaking that don't lose yourself. One of the things that I learned from my mom is that even while I was sad she wasn't always here because she found her work, her passion, while I was like 12 years old, it showed me that you can still be a great mom. You can still find things that bring you joy. You know, I used to paint shirts. I would always have crafts. I would always have passions, you know, whatever it was. And people go, why do you keep yourself so busy? You have all these, I'm like, I still didn't give up on myself. So find the things that bring you joy, even when you have children to model that for your kids. It's so important to find the hobbies, to find the things that will really elevate you every single day, even if it's Go find a trashy book and go read in the sunlight and do that for an hour every day. But find it, do it, and take care of yourself. Love on yourself every single day. Good way to go out, ladies. Love you. Love you. J-Ma. For any of you here that are wanting to dive a little bit deeper in uncovering any blocks or past limiting patterns and behaviors to truly up-level into the woman and mother that you want to be, I am here for you. There are a couple of ways that we can work together. One is through my one-on-one coaching within the Mother the Mother coaching program, which really is very specific to each client. I do not have a formula. All it really is, is meeting you where you are right now 
right now and getting you to your next up level of where you want to be. So for some of my clients, it's women that are thinking about becoming pregnant. For some of my clients, it is helping them become the mom they want to be as they walk through their pregnancy. Each trimester by trimester, we do prenatal yoga, meditation, a lot of couples work. I meet with both partners, if that's available, prenatal education, and then also a lot of the matriarchal line work, you know, like what are we holding in our familial lines that we can uncover and then clear so that you can be your highest version as you bring this new soul earth side. Then some of my clients are deep in their postpartum healing. It's a sacred time. It's a sacred gorgeous window for you to land into this new role as you journey from maiden into mother. That's my love. It's just such an awakening portal. So I love working with women through there and also helping women when they're pregnant plan out their postpartum time, which is really crucial to have the plan, have the overview of how you want your healing to look and be because when you are already in it, often it's a little bit too late because there's so much going on. And then some of my clients are kind of coming back to themselves after having toddlers, even at teenager age of, you know, ready to get back into the workplace or really go deep on their own personal healing that they put off for a decade. So it's really different. Some of it's nutritional help. Some of it is more of the spiritual support. I really meet you wherever you are and honor what you want for your own life because it's your life and I'm here to support you. So that's the one way to work with me. And if you're interested in that, please reach out to hello at motherthemother.com and we can set up a free mother love breakthrough call, 20 minute call, see if it's in the right alignment, if it's the right time in your life and go from there. Second way is through mom club, which is now alive and Earthside. It's up on Patreon. This is a beautiful community we're creating together. Every woman that is showing up there is so beautiful, has so much to share and is so expansive. And there is such magic and healing when women gather together and when like-minded sisters can gather together, even though we have different opinions, come from different walks of life, completely different lifestyles. It's beautiful to gather together and learn and share with one another. That's the second way. And then third way is via my newsletter. So you can find that on Instagram at Mother the Mother. There is the link tree in my bio that you can sign up for the weekly newsletter that drops every Monday, Monday morning to help give a little support as you journey through your week ahead. And I am here for you. I'm walking this path as well. And we are better together. Sending love, Jema. I hope that you enjoyed this episode this deep dive into life as a woman and a mother and a daughter and a sister, all of it. If this episode spoke to you, please subscribe, rate, and review the show. It truly makes a difference on our end. It actually really does make a difference. So this podcast is part of my dharma. It is a free offering to all of you. So I really appreciate the support. I know it's one more thing to ask on your to-do list, but it really truly only takes one to two minutes and it makes a great big difference on our end. So I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And as always, we are co-creating the sacred space together. It's a symbiotic relationship. Sending you so much love today and always. Jay Ma.